Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 23rd, and our chapter for today is the book of Romans, chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, when we left him, was explaining about Abraham and how he was justified. He was not justified through the works of righteousness, which he did. It was not even through his willingness to offer his only son, Isaac, his beloved son, Isaac, that God had gifted to him. That was not it in Genesis chapter 22. No, before Genesis 22 and even before Genesis 17 and circumcision, Abraham was justified by faith. That is, by trusting God alone, by trusting him and his righteousness that he would bestow upon him and give to him, Abraham had standing before God. And when you read verses 9 through the end of the chapter, chapter 4, all the way through verse 25, you have the apology, the defense of the Apostle Paul that indeed it was by trusting God and God alone, not through his acts of righteousness, that Abraham was made right with God. And then we come to chapter 5, and he says, therefore... Anytime you see a wherefore or therefore in the scripture, stop and ask yourself the question, what is that wherefore or therefore, therefore? It is drawing to a conclusion all that he has been saying about how we are made right with God, how any man is made right with God, Jew or Gentile. It is through faith, not by acts of righteousness, not by sacrifice of animals, not even blood sacrifices. It is only the blood of Messiah that will save. It is only a spotless Lamb of God that will save. And so the scripture says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we need to make a distinction between peace with God and the peace of God. The peace of God that's mentioned in the scriptures, for instance, in places like the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, where he says, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry about anything, but in everything, out of the midst of thanksgiving, let your prayer, general praying, and specific request come before God, and as you pray out of thanksgiving, generally and making specific request, not worrying, not fretting, but trusting. The peace of God will garrison, will build a fort around your very heart and mind, and he will guard that peace, the peace of God that is given to a believer. Here he says, by faith, we have been justified and we have peace with God. Now, peace with someone is different than the peace of someone. The peace of God talks about what God gives to us, what God grants to us. Peace with God means that we are no longer at enmity. 
We are no longer at war. We have laid down our arms. We've lifted our hands in surrender with palms open saying, I bring nothing. I am coming empty handed because I am empty hearted. And unless you feel me, unless you rearrange my thinking, unless you change me, then I am undone and lost. So the weapons of war are coming against God with our thinking, thinking wrongly, doing our own thing, going our own way, not trusting God, trying to make it happen, trying to do everything, and not trusting God puts us at war with God. When we're trying to get to heaven our own way, when we're trying to get to God our own way, and we're trying to, with our self-will and ingenuity, make our way to God, it doesn't work. That is when we are at war with God. And so he says that we are justified by faith. And because of that, God declares us to be righteous, not because of our own works, but because of his grace and mercy that we've entered into. Grace is all that God does for us in Christ, in Messiah, that we do not deserve. Mercy is all that God withholds from us that we do deserve. And the Bible says, through whom, that is, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, through whom also we have access. That's prosago, prosago. It means before I go. In other words, to come near, to draw near to someone. He says we can draw near to him. We can have access by faith into his grace. Why is it important that we're in his grace? Because grace is an enabling force. It is what gives us access not only to forgiveness, not only to justification and the imputation of God's righteousness, that is the righteousness that Jesus lived out from his birth until his death on earth. He lived perfectly in the will of God. That means he always, always thought what he should have thought just when he should have thought it. He always said what he should have said just when he should have said it, just in the way he should have said it. He always did what he should have done just when he should have done it. He never thought anything he shouldn't have thought. He never said anything he shouldn't have said. He never did anything that he shouldn't have done in any way that he shouldn't have done it. He was absolutely perfect. And we have access by God's grace to have his perfection put on our account. That's right. That's what justification is. It is the imputation of righteousness. You see, if God just forgave us and gave us a clean slate, we would mess it up in a moment. We would mess it up in an hour. We would mess it up in a day. We would certainly mess it up in a week. But God imputes to us judicially his righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus earned. Adam was righteous and he lost it. The Lord Jesus was born into a sinful world yet without sin, and he lived a sinless, perfect life in obedience to the Father's will. And he puts that righteousness on our account. That's the great exchange. That's the great substitution. People will often ask me as a pastor, what is the very minimum that I need to understand in order to be saved? What about my child? What is the minimum that they need to know to be saved? Listen to me. They have to understand the concept of substitution. 
They have to understand that they are guilty. They have to understand that they need to be saved. They have to understand that they need a Savior and that one has been given and his name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Now, they don't have to understand all about Messiahship and anointing and all of that, but they do have to understand the concept of substitution. Otherwise, there can be no salvation. Why? Because someone has to not only die in our place, but have lived a life that is worthy to die in our place. And he imputes to us his righteousness. And so we stand in his grace. And the word stand is in the perfect tense. Now, the present tense is linear. That continuous line is called the continual present tense. But there's also the iterative. The iterative is a dot and then another dot and another dot in a linear fashion, in a line fashion, but not connecting. It's like the old dot matrix printer. It looks like a line, but it's not. It is a series of dots. In other words, what I'm saying to you is there's various kinds of tenses They are described in different ways in the Bible and are used. The usage of it is how we many times define and get the color and nuances of what a word was meant to convey by an apostle or by a prophet. But there is also the simple past tense called aorist tense in the Greek. There is the continual action in past time that is called the imperfect tense. But there is something called a perfect tense in the Greek language, in the Koine Greek. And it is describing an action, a completed action that happens somewhere in the past at a particular time, but it has abiding results. It has abiding results to the present, not in the future, but in and to the present. This is sometimes how the resurrection is cast in the perfect tense. Sometimes it's in the aorist tense. That is, at a point in time, Jesus rose from the dead. It is used for historical and historicity causes. It is used for historical conception. It is used for historicity when you're wanting to show the historical nature of something. But many times there is the need to show that something happened at a point in time and it was completed, but it has abiding results. Jesus rose from the dead. That is completed, but there is abiding results from his resurrection. And that is that because he lives, you and I will live as well. And because he lives, he can now turn around and give us the gift of eternal life. Why? Because he earned it. He earned it. You and I could never do that. So we stand because of Jesus, and we stand to the present day. And we're happy about it. We rejoice in the elpida, the elpis, the elpizo. That is the hope, the expectation of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Now, the word tribulation is the word thlipsis. And it is the word for a mortar and pestle. That is, a mortar is what you see, and the pestle sticking down in it looks like a small baseball bat in some illustrations outside of a pharmakeia, of a drugstore. That's the word pharmakeia in the Greek text. This idea of a mortar and a pestle, the reason I'm using that and bringing that up is because the mortar and pestle is an ancient tool. And you had this mortar and then you had this pestle. The mortar was the bowl and and you would put herbs and spices and you would crush those with that handle and you would crush and crush and crush and make an ointment out of that. That crushing that brought out the different types of juices and herbs 
herbs and the blends, that process is called thlipsis or crushing. Pressure is brought to bear. And so what he said was, we rejoice in the hope and the expectation that one day we're going to experience the glory of God. We're going to see it. But not only that, but we also glory. Now we glory. We are rejoicing in tribulations, in crushings. Why would a person do that? That's supernatural. It's not natural. Well, we know, we know and continually know that this crushing produces hupomone. Hupo means under. Mone means abide or rest or to bear up. So hupomone means to bear up under. Perseverance is bearing up under the concept of crushing. You see, the child of God is not only given eternal life, heaven one day, as far as quantity, but also quality of life. We live knowing that this life is not the end. And that allows us to look beyond the storm that we're in to the rainbow and the promise of God on the other side. We trace the rainbow through the rain. And so we have this divine ability to bear up under, and this bearing up under produces dokima, that is, a tested character, that is, a proven life. You see, it's easy to talk about living when everything is good. It's easy to talk about being a child of God when everything's going our way, when we're not sick, when we are, have all the money we need and we have all the food and our children are all where they need to be and, and everything's good. Then, Well, it's, it's not hard to praise the Lord then, but character has to do with bearing up under the load that God gives you. Everything doesn't turn out like you like. Everything... You didn't get all that you asked for. You didn't get the share that you thought you should. You feel like, well, this is not what I deserve. No, listen, we deserve hell. We deserve separation. It is the grace and mercy and kindness and generosity of God that we even can stand before him. And so he says, as we are being crushed, we rejoice knowing that our hope and our assurance is not in what we get here, but what God's doing in us. He's testing us. And this character that is produced through perseverance, this brings about a character in our life. And this hope, this hope, it's so, it is so important that we understand this idea of hope because he says, that this tribulation produces perseverance, hupomone, and this hupomone, this bearing up under it, produces a tested character and character hope. Hope, again, is eager anticipation, excited expectation that God's going to make something good happen out of all the bad that we're going through. Then you can go through anything. As a matter of fact, you will not just be waiting to get through it. This is what some people do when they start into tribulation. It paralyzes them. It immobilizes them. Well, I don't know what God's doing. Do you know what the root of that word is? Is waiting actively. That means you don't sit on your hands. You do what you know to do. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, then do what you know to do. I don't know what the next step is. Did you know what the next step was before the trial? Then keep doing it. You see, we don't need to doubt in darkness, 
in the darkness of trials and the mist and fog, what God showed us in great daylight. This is why you have an instrument rating as a pilot to where you look at your instruments, not at the surroundings, because if you do, that is when you will crash because your emotions will take over, your mind will take over, and you will think you're up when you're going down. You think you're going down when you're going up. You have to keep your eye on the instruments because you see the instruments are the same whether it's dark or daylight, whether it's fog or clear blue sky. And so what we learn to do in patience is we learn to actively walk in the light that God's given us because we can't see except to take one step at a time. And this is why the psalmist said, your word, your word, your written word is a lamp unto my feet. That's a small lamp that I can hold in my hand. I have many of them in my offices that are 3,000 years old to the time that the psalmist wrote this. I can hold it in my hand. He said, your word is like a lamp. Well, that lamp, when you light them and you put oil in them and you light them, there's only enough light for one step, one step. Then you get to see the next step, then the next, then the next. And so you cannot doubt in darkness what God has shown you in bright light. So these trials are there. Yes, they're difficult. Hope does not disappoint. This active waiting does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God, the agapao, the agape of God, the unconditional poured out love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the agency of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.